Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Resilient Health Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Darren Ingalls, and my guest today is Dr. Jaquel Patterson. I was very fortunate to have worked with Dr. Patterson for a year uh, when I had a practice in Fairfield, Connecticut, before I relocated out to California. Uh, Dr. Patterson, like myself, is a naturopathic physician. She is the medical director and owner of Fairfield Family Health, and she is the author of Women and Lyme. So, Dr. Patterson, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me today. And I can't believe it's been like six years since I, <laughs> in terms of when we were working together with the one year overlap, it's like time has really flown. And now you're on the West Coast enjoying much warmer weather than being in here in Connecticut. But I'm really glad to be here on the podcast. Yeah, well, I don't miss the cold at all. <laughs> I got to be honest. <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about Lyme disease. Of course, it's near and dear to both of our hearts. It's a big part of our practice. And, you know, I have my own Lyme story. You know, I wrote a book called The Lyme Solution, but you got your own story. You know, can you tell a little bit about, you know, kind of how you came to under understand Lyme in your own way? Yeah, sure. So I, be I actually came to know uh, Lyme from my first transition when I came working uh, with you six years ago. And we had the overlap for a year. And when I started seeing patients with Lyme disease, I started saying, wait a second, these symptoms sound similar to some things that I had before um, in terms of physical pain, brain fog, anxiety, insomnia. So I, I went and did a blood work myself. I had a period of time when I was in school, the last two years of school, where I was having a lot of issues of like uh, joint pain, but it was strange because it kept alternating. I was, you know, different my arm would hurt, then I'd be swollen sometimes and my right, you know, my, it would kind of switch by way of sides. And then, um, I was really hot. So I felt like a furnace. And so I went and got worked up. Um, obviously it was younger. So at that time it was anxiety, but I said, it didn't make any sense because I would be anxious going to the grocery store, doing really simple tasks. I got worked up. I went to a few doctors, also went to a rheumatologist. I have a family history of autoimmune conditions and did have some markers that were positive, but nothing was definitive. And so I started working with patients who had Lyme disease and also saw, okay, there's many of the symptoms that overlapped with what I had, got tested and saw that I was also positive for Lyme disease and Babesia. And so um, during that time when I was in school, I really did a lot of like lifestyle changes, much more focus on like mindfulness, meditation. I started incorporating that daily into my lifestyle. Um, and did a lot for stress management. And over time, my symptoms got better, but I didn't know what it was until I actually got tested and found out that that's that, you know, I actually had it myself as well. You know, I think your story reflects so many people out there that have something very similar. It's sort of this kind of weird collection of symptoms. Again, you go to the doctor, you go to the rheumatologist, you go to the neurologist. And, you know, a lot of the testing, you know, the, the, at least the routine testing, you know, most of it comes back normal. And this low titer ANA, and for those of you who don't know, ANA stands for anti-nuclear antibodies. This is a screening test we used uh, for autoimmune disease. So for people that have, you know, legitimate lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and scleroderma, often this marker will be high. However, it is a non-specific marker. And a lot of people with Lyme disease or tick-borne illness will have a very low level of this marker that might suggest that it is autoimmune disease. But then when you do the more specific autoimmune tests, they tend to come back negative. So I guess this is a good reminder that, you know, if you're listening and you're like, wow, yeah, I've had this kind of weird set of symptoms and I've been to all these doctors and nobody can really seem to figure out, 
you know, when I hear about arthritic symptoms and neurologic symptoms, I know for me, that's kind of a big red flag to test for Lyme in these tick-borne illnesses. And as you know, with testing, I was never formally worked up by testing for things like tick-borne illnesses, but even with the conventional standard tests, many of the times there's uh, many false, uh, false negatives for people. And, and so there are a lot of people that are not showing, but they might have the symptoms unless the testing is done um, not only by clinical, but also using, you know, labs that are going to be maybe more proficient by way of their assays and things like that. So, yeah, so I, and also another factor is if you have a genetic predisposition like myself, um, there is a certain percentage of population that will also have a positive ANA. So you kind of, I always say it's like you're in the middle, like you have these symptoms that are a little bit vague and um, chronic infections can also predispose you for autoimmune conditions as well. So there's kind of this like quagmire of multiple things um, that, that are all connected to with Lyme disease at large. And we know from the research with Lyme in particular is that, you know, there is a cross reaction or I guess there can be a cross reaction with your gray matter, with your white matter, with your connective tissue, which is why people get the joint pain, why they get the brain fog, why they get these other neurological symptoms. You know, I see Lyme as much as an autoimmune disease as an actual infection. And I think when we look at people with chronic Lyme, to a certain degree, that's probably part of why people feel the way they feel. It's this underlying autoimmune process that's been triggered. So even if that organism's, I think, at fairly low levels, that may still be enough to kind of aggravate your immune system. Exactly. And I often say that. I say, you know, Lyme disease isn't an autoimmune condition per se, but it presents itself. And typical treatment and approach is very similar to how you'd work with any patient for autoimmune conditions. So I know when I started doing more work in Lyme disease, for me, it felt very, I had a focus uh, more so on autoimmune conditions initially, but it felt very much, especially for our patients with chronic Lyme disease that have been suffering for, for 10 or 20 years or 30 years, it presents itself very much like any autoimmune condition as well. So you wrote a book about, you know, women and Lyme. What is it that may be a little bit different with women with Lyme disease, perhaps relative to men or even children? So one uh, interesting factor is, as we know, the testing is not the best in general for, for picking up a tick-borne illness, but the testing is even more faulty if you look at the studies for women than men. W women will tend to, even with Lyme disease, they may have four bands versus five, band five or six bands that might show up for a male. So that's one thing. Also, just in medical care, a lot of the symptoms that women present with when they, when you look at the studies there, they have are more nebulous, you know, headaches, anxiety, um, some joint pain. So oftentimes in medical care, people that come for support for Lyme disease might see, as you mentioned, like seven to nine doctors. And it could even be more complicated for women because there's other issues um, like hormones and things that could be factoring into it as well, which means it might not get worked up or looked at completely. And then when you look at hormones in terms of the sex reproductive hormones, endocrine system, adrenal glands, uh, especially with reproductive hormones, those can influence women by way of like disease management, particularly if they're perimenopausal, menopausal, um, if they do not have, you know, more estrogen dominant or have more significant PMS symptoms. So that was one of the things I noticed early on with my patients with Lyme disease was that they would have these kind of changing of symptoms depending also on their cycle or while they were going through a transition. And so that was when I started doing more research as it pertained to hormone, hormones and its impact on infections like Lyme disease, like autoimmune conditions and how those were all correlated. 
you know, this may be a little bit of a loaded question, but I'll ask it anyway. I mean, I kind of feel like women often get marginalized in medicine, saying that as a male, uh, and not necessarily even by male practitioners. I think sometimes females are as bad sometimes as males. But do you think that that's another problematic factor in getting a good diagnosis as a female? hundred percent. I think um, there's a lot of patients, my patients say it to me all the time, and I know to you as well that, oh, you're just stressed. This is happening because you're stressed out or this is happening because you're going through the change in life, you know, in especially when it comes to things like brain fog, insomnia, if they're having things like palpitations, which are all symptoms of that can come with Lyme disease or Babesia or Bartonella. So there is does tend to be a blaming on more of a mental state and stress and their ability to manage it uh, versus a male. So the it, it's not really all often heard or listened or dismissed. And unfortunately, that's one of the reasons why we often, women also tend to maybe have these conditions for a longer period of time or they get diagnosed later because of that fact of being dismissed. You know, um, many, many years ago uh, on the Oprah Winfrey show, not that I'm a watch Oprah very often, <laughs> but she she did a show and I know somebody who was involved and they gave male and female actors a script. And the script described the same exact symptoms, which were all basically around like a heart attack. And they went to different doctors and they wanted to see what percentage of doctors would, how, or how they would work up you know, all these actors. And surprisingly, again, I'm going to forget the numbers. This was a long time ago, but it was something like, you know, 85% of the men got worked up for heart disease, where only maybe 20% of the women got worked up for heart disease, describing the same exact symptoms. So I, that always stuck out to me at the time. And this is really before I even went to medical school, uh, just about, wow. I mean, and, and again, the male and female doctors were equally as biased against women in that department. So uh, I mean, it's certainly something I've seen in my own practice. Again, oh, you're a busy mom. And there can always be a lot of excuses for women about why, you know, you feel the way you feel. And instead of really going down that rabbit hole and trying to understand that maybe this is a legitimate medical problem. And of course, with Lyme disease, you know, there's over 100 different symptoms. So it can be very vague and nebulous. But, you know, I, I guess really it kind of comes down to really educating other healthcare providers about, hey, you know, this is a serious condition. It is the fastest growing infectious disease in the world, including the United States. And it just gets overlooked over and over. Yeah. And, and not actually listening to what they're saying, because oftentimes, too, if you have young kids, et cetera, it's like, well, because of, of, of you know, having young kids, the stress or sleep, et cetera. But oftentimes you'll hear them say, like, I never had this before. You know, it's like, I understand. I or some people have never I've had um, some people go to the hospital that have had severe, you know, mental breakdowns, et cetera, that have never had any prior history at all. Um, and so in those situations, those are also uh, peculiar as women can get heart palpitations, things like that, which can seem like stress, especially if someone is saying this does not feel like my normal, that really needs to be worked up and listened to. And so um, kind of hearing the whole story out and unfortunately, the current care, we're the, the medical care, it's just too fast. And so there's not that time to sit and, and, and hear that whole story. And I think that's one of the great things as a naturopathic doctor um, or anybody in the functional medicine space, we have that time to really hear the whole story and know from beginning to end what their journey has been too. 
Yeah, I, I, I feel very fortunate in that aspect that we are afforded time. You know, our our schedule is not dependent on some insurance company or some corporate agent telling us we have to see X number of patients in this time frame. So we we have the luxury really to sit down, spend the time, hear the whole story, understand you, your family dynamics, all these things that contribute to your health so that we can really get a good idea about the best way to help you move forward. Um, I want to ask a little bit about the hormone piece. You mentioned that. Of course, you know, women relative to men, where hormones cycle, men's hormones tend to be relatively stable. Do you see women with Lyme disease at certain points of their cycle, do you tend to see things flare? Or is there sort of an expectation that right before their period around ovulation, is there anything that uh, you've observed in your practice around that? So definitely it's pretty common for a, a menstruating woman right before their cycle, a few days where they'll say, I'm having way worse, you know, a lot of worsening of like my physical pain or fatigue, et cetera. So one of the piece in terms of um, prostaglandins actually gets released a few days prior to our to the cycle, which helps in terms of the shedding of the uterus, but also prostaglandins releases interleukin-6, which is an inflammatory cytokine, which causes a lot of inflammation. So if there's any kind of pre-existing symptoms like Lyme disease, those symptoms will often get worse. So you will you will see that. Um, so I'll often have seen that with with patients. And then the other thing is when they'll actually say, like, once they get my period, I feel a lot better. Um, and so I also have that mid ovulatory. And so if it's not um, kind of the pattern isn't cycling exactly correct, or if they're more estrogen dominant. So you really want to do a full reproductive panel, looking at their estrogen, looking at their progesterone, looking at their testosterone that often gets missed and DHEA and cortisol. And so cort um, testosterone is actually an anti-inflammatory. And when you look at pro um, progesterone, it's more TH2 dominant. And so th those are also both act more anti-inflammatory in nature. And that's why someone, some women feel better when they're pregnant for that reason. Um, but you'll see these changes because progesterone goes down, testosterone goes down when women go through a transition of perimenopause and menopause and all these things that were protective for them by, by way of inflammation are no longer there. And so those are those are the things you want to look at, because sometimes when you increase those up to normal levels, they're going to feel a lot better by way of inflammation. And then for menstruating women, we look at what things we can help to support them by way of inflammation prior to the cycle to help prevent those issues from occurring at the time, too. Yeah, I've seen that in my own practice. Women during pregnancy get a nice little honeymoon period where a lot of their symptoms really improve. And then often not long after they deliver, they kind of slip back into that pattern before they were pregnant. So, you know, your your immune system has this wisdom during pregnancy to obviously not reject the child, right? Because, you know, half of that DNA is dad. So that can alter the immune system in a way that can control a lot of those symptoms. But uh, often, again, we're waiting for the hammer to drop after delivery. You know, our <laughs> thing's going to start getting worse again. And we're always kind of mentally prepared, like, okay, what are we going to do after the baby's born? How do we best handle it? You know, that might be a good good thing and to talk a little bit. Yeah, that was about to say, that's actually an important factor because I'll have that where woman gets pregnant. You know, I see them, they're doing well, they're off, you know, herbs, they get pregnant. And then four months later, they come after their pregnancy, they're like, oh my gosh, they feel horrible. They feel like they got hit by a truck. Everything went downhill. So I'm always talking about make sure, you know, after you have a baby, please come to see me like right away within a couple of weeks, because that's the time that we have to kind of remanage them and regulate their hormones because 
a lot of those things like the progesterone is all going to go back to normal and you might not feel as good as you did before too. So we're always trying to prepare for that after effect too, because I I've definitely seen that for many patients. So they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm good. I I don't have any symptoms. I feel amazing. They might've felt that going into pregnancy. And then there's kind of this downhill effect about four months after their, their pregnancy itself. Now, are you treating women during pregnancy? Technically, they're, they're, we, we kind of put them, I do treat them. I don't do herbs because um, you have to be careful. There haven't been many, there's not enough studies out there um, for it, but I do do a lot of support by way of like antioxidants and basically making sure we're, they're um, nutri- you know, nutritive, uh, like in terms of not depleted in any way. So I'm tending to do a lot of like more antioxidant support and mineral support during the time they're pregnant. And then after we're making sure we're really taking, we're really on it right away so that nothing goes back. Wonderful. Well, I know that you've got a summit coming up uh, January 12th, 14th of 2024. Uh, Yourself, Dr. Lindsay Wells, Dr. Mariah Henchy, I think are co-anchoring this event and I think you shared you've got about 20 different uh, people who will be contributing to this. So, you know, for people who really want to understand more about Lyme disease, I think this is going to be a fantastic event. Is there anything else you'd like to share about this that people should know? Yes. Yeah. So it's called Lyme Heal Hers. So Heal Hers, LymeHealHers.com. So we put this together as a summit, 20 speakers to talk on really on women and families because there are um, Lyme summits, some great Lyme summits out there, but we wanted to make sure there was some content out there that spoke to specific um, like pregnancy. So we have someone speaking on pregnancy and Lyme disease. We have um, someone speaking on the newest research as it pertains um, to basically Lyme disease, but then also as it relates to women and kids. We also are talking about like mind-body balance and that piece, which is also an important aspect. Um, also things like the gut microbiome and how it's related with women's health. And then also if someone has been on antibiotics for a long period of time and what is the connection to that as well as hormones. So it's a varied group of speakers, even um, someone speaking on infections and cancer, particularly things like breast cancer. So we're really excited to put together. It's going to be the first one of its kind that's uh, particular to women and, and families and so um, definitely check it out. It's a free summit. Um, so it's a great way to get some really good information from some known speakers um, in the field of integrative medicine. Fantastic. Well, we'll drop the link uh, in the show notes uh, to click on that website. Uh, can people register now? Yes, yes. You can go right on. There's a registration page um, and it's just at LimeHealHers.com. And yep, the registration's open right now. So We're really excited for it. We plan on um, running it again later in the year. And we are, I think everybody on board has been excited to be asked uh, to speak for this this first inaugural summit. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you spending time with us today. And uh, for those of you tuning in, definitely you'll want to check out the summit again, January 12th to 14th. Again, we'll put the link in the show notes. And Dr. Patterson, always a pleasure chatting with you and appreciate you sharing uh, your knowledge with us. As well. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ingalls. As always, a pleasure. Okay, thanks.